I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills United Methodist Church. It's good to be with you, and today we are starting a 31-week journey together. It's from the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, and about five years ago, Anderson Hills went through this, and we got a lot of positive feedback about this series, and we're finding that people grow spiritually as they dig into God's Word, and uh, more and more in that relationship in His Word and with each other as we study together, we find that our, our lives transform, children, youth, uh, adults, and so we're journeying through this together, and it's called the story because it contains the story of God, and it's God's plan for us, and as we listen to his word, we discover our purpose, and we find that in him we live and move and have our being, and we're transformed by the spoken word, and so we'll understand how much God loves us and values us, and then how we also fit into this world together, and so the problem is that when we look at the, the Bible the, the Bible Bible, it doesn't read like a modern day story. In fact, you try to read it from cover to cover, it kind of jumps around and you might uh, get lost. And I know I've read through the Bible before a couple of times, especially when I went to seminary and studying it. And so there, you find that there's hundreds of years between books and then also there's 40 authors. And, and so this book here, uh, the story, we are selling them for five bucks. And it's just a, an opportunity for you and your life group or small group to dig down deep and read it chapter by chapter uh, as a narrative. And it's, it's really incredible. And I've really dug into this in this first chapter here. And we'll continue as we uh, study together. So I, I'd encourage you to purchase this. And then we can go old school, you know. I don't know if you ever remember how you'd turn in your Bible and you sit there and the preacher would preach with the Bible out there. And, you know, so let's go old school. You know, let's do that together. So... Anyway, let's look at the first sentence. Let's start with page one. And it's these words here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just that is so profound. Just think about that. I remember when I was seven years old, and we went to a drive-in movie theater, Starlight Drive-In in Aurora, Indiana, and this movie came out. And space, and these letters started scrolling, and this orchestra started playing after it said a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then it said new hope, and the crescendo, and I remember as a seven-year-old going, oh my gosh, and my seven-year-old brain going, this is a very special film. It was Star Wars, and it was just cataclysmic to that seven-year-old mind. It made me stand up on furniture with a fake lightsaber, but this... You think about that sentence, take it to the billionth power, folks. In the beginning, God. God has always been. He decided to create. It's amazing. Things, the world, the universe, you, me, just didn't happen. Some people believe it's a result of a, you know, a succession of accidents, but I just can't believe that. I don't buy that. All this just didn't happen didn't. It's a result of a miracle. It's a miracle. Earth, galaxies, the vastness. No one could deny that. As a matter of fact, for those who are very perceptive and even have a deeper scientific mind, they found that the discoveries of modern science will only affirm that it is a miracle. And their supernatural designer 
and architect behind it. And there are various beliefs about the creation story. You know, whether, you know, the earth is 6,000 years or millions of years old, and whether we should take it literal or is it more poetry. But here in this first sentence, the most important thing is God created. He created us. He created everything. And we live and move and have our being in his creation together. It's amazing. And so one of the most important things that I think we should remember is that we're, and keeps us calibrated is, is that the spiritual created the physical, my friends. The material world originated from the spiritual, the visible from the invisible. The phenomenal world is but an expression of the invisible, powerful, all-present God. And so, beloved, the unseen dominates and rules what is seen. The unseen is eternal and unchangeable, visible. Material, it's temporal. It's perishable. The truth is expressed by St. Paul. He says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. He says, since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And so we have to remember that. And when we tune in and we seek the spiritual first, as Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, when we seek the spiritual first and we don't rely on the material, our lives are going to be transformed. It took me 19 years to figure that out. When we do that, I don't know if you felt it in worship. I felt that there was just that thin layer right there in worship where I just felt like I kissed God. And we tune in as the church when we come into that, that we're his creation together. And when we focus on the spiritual, change happens, I know, in me. So we find that we're reformed, recreated, repurposed, refashioned, refashioned by the spiritual. And God created everything out of nothing. In the material, it will waste away. As St. Paul says, though the outer is wasting away, the inner is being renewed every day, and that inner, our spiritual, is drawing closer and closer and closer to the eternal. So God's thoughts and words spoke, and the activity of that creative power, it was done with unconditional love. And God called, created everything, and he called that good. And in the first chapter of this story, you can read God speaking things in existence. Like, if you look at page Page two here, he, he says, let there be, let there be, light. And he talks about, he speaks all of these things, creatures, animals. And you go up to the fifth day, and then you get to the sixth day. And then we see the crescendo. Eternal God showed the pinnacle of his creation, and the core of his passion, he created human beings. God spoke to human, oh, this sucker, I tell you what, anyway. Sorry. It's the big fat Charlie Brown head, so anyway. So let's talk about the image of God. So he formed us in his own image. Imagio di. Image means exact resemblance. You've heard the old saying, you know, oh, he's got the, he's a splitting image of his mother. Or he's a chip off the old block of his father. Well, I want to tell you, the chip of God is in you. God signed you 
with his DNA. And essentially, you are not completely an earth creature. You're a hybrid. You're spiritual material. We have the same chemicals as the dust, but he breathed into us the breath of life. He breathed into us to make us spiritual. And though this material world may, might, may try to condemn you and reject you and kill you, it can't banish you from the spark of that divinity, my friends. Don't ever forget that. You're in the image of God. And in that, God gave Adam and Eve that beautiful gift to have that communion with him. Paradise, Eden, and we read that. Not only physical paradise, but spiritual paradise too before the fall. Adam and Eve were created for communion and that spiritual desires to have communion. So God instills in Adam and Eve something different from the rest of creation. He instills in humans the freedom to choose, to choose the divine. It wasn't forced on Adam and Eve or humanity to do what he says to do. You know, he didn't make a, I will worship you, almighty God. He didn't make us robots. We can choose to give our lives to him, to worship him. And so in that free will, it was a gift of freedom. It was, in fact, a gift of love. And like Adam and Eve, we have free will. And he gave them a way to declare their decision. God places two trees. And on page four, it says, in the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life. A tree of good and evil. And if they ate from the tree of life, it would signal to God that they embrace his vision of life together in that communion. If they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it would be signaling to God that they were rejecting his vision. And so on page five, we have the story of the fall. They have two choices. The, the good option is a right and moral and good for the sake of other, others type of choice. And the other option is a warring, an evil choice a disobedient choice, and maybe even a selfish choice. I know every day it pops up in my life, every day, whether, and I don't know how many times a day, but to make that choice in joyful obedience to God. And here it is. If you look in page five here, I'll give you a chance here in the next few weeks to get this thing and go old school with me, but it says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then both of their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Think about what happened before this. It was paradise for Adam and Eve. They were connected to the spiritual they were naked and totally unashamed. Fellowship, loving communion with the eternal God, being with God in the cool of the day or the quiet of the evening, and it says that in here. And then comes that heartbreaking unraveling of the consequences of sin, and you see it immediately. Naked, they saw each other, shame, trying to cover. Fear came into their lives. They hid from God. I can't imagine my kids... <laughs> hiding from me in fear, you know? 
And God still calls to them in their disobedience. It's as if God was saying, where are you? I love you. I want to be with you. And he was longing for that communion. But see how sin entered in in that disobedience. And then blame begins to happen. He's, you know, the, God says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you to eat from? And the man said, well, the woman you put me here. And then they're pointing fingers, and you see the wedge of sin in the division of that relationship. When St. Paul says the wages of sin is death, he's not just talking about physical death, spiritual death, relational death, death of trust, death of communion. And then we see physical death, as you dig into the next page, we see it with Cain and Abel. As we move through this first chapter, almost immediately, page 7 tells the story of the birth of Cain and Abel. Abel is a shepherd, and Cain is a farmer, and Adam and Eve gives birth to these two boys, and, and they get into a disagreement about what to bring for an offering to the Lord, and Cain gets angry about it. They get into a religious argument, and Cain has a choice of how he will respond. And he can get some feedback from his brother. And you can read between the line of maybe how to give a better offering to the Lord. But instead, he gets jealous. And what does he do? He plots to kill his brother. And you see murder <laughs> taking place. This Again, this sin spiraling. And even God gives him some coaching. He says, why are you angry? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But he doesn't. And the wage of that sin is murder, physical death. And see, we see the effect of that original sin that came from Adam and Eve. And that sin nature has been passed down from, to us. The human race has been infected with that. King David in Psalm 51 writes, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You can see the sin nature at work every time you turn it on the news. The sin nature keeps us from God and keeps us from that communion with God in Eden. It keeps us from paradise. And further and further that humanity gets away from God, that expression of evil and sin, it gets worse and worse and worse, and obstacles start to be built up. On page 8, it says, it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And perhaps the most saddest words in the Old Testament is, the Lord regretted that he made human beings. And so we see the story as we move through uh, Genesis that God decides to start over. He wants a do-over. You ever gotten to the point of that? I just need to stop. Just tear the thing down and rebuild it, Jonathan, because it's just not working out. But there's this, this verse on page 8. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. A man named Noah and his family, they glowed with righteousness, and God saw that they were doing right in this dark world. And Genesis calls him a righteous man, blameless among all people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And this is what God was looking for all along. And so God saw that in Noah. Thank God for Noah, you know. And he did 
what was necessary and utilized Noah's family. And what did he tell Noah to do? To build this big honking ark. <laughs> Mark Rowland, I, I read his sermon earlier. He always gets his sermon way done before mine. But he said, Noah built his gargantuan ark and is kept across the river in Kentucky. <laughs> so, man, how did it get there? <laughs> you know. But it's really cool. They took the size and scale of that, literally, and it's, it's amazing. And Noah listened to God. He was obedient. He built it step by step. You see, the obedience starts to come in, and people are choosing to do this thing. And he collects two of every animal. The door is closed. The massive flood, 40 days and 40 nights. Those storms begin to stop. The, the floods, uh, they recede. And Noah's family, they file out with these animals. And the first thing that Noah does, and I think God just starts to just see, you know what, there's hope here. Noah sacrifices an animal offering to God. And God says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Never again will I destroy all living people. God begins to save. So this is our first, this is our first introduction to this incredible story. And what, will we, what do we learn from these first seven chapters God is the creator of everything. Nothing exists apart from his will, power, his creative, creating word. And we learn why God created. He created to be in loving relationship with us, folks. Relationship first. Spiritual first. You know, I, I, I get really deeply burdened for people who, don't, who are atheists. It's tough for me. I experienced that in the military a few times. I just found talking to them, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no plan. It's all chance. They believe they're only earth dust people and they'll eventually be worm meat. And I just, I just don't get that. Are we here by chance or are we here by design? We are here by design. And I believe that with the fabric of all who I am as a hybrid, you know, spiritual, physical dude. You're created in his image. You're no accident. We aren't some random mutation. You were designed by God to love and to be loved and to have intimate relationship, to know him, to worship him, to do his will, to interact with your creator, to bring us back in the covenant. And what, what happens here is just when you think about it, what Christ did to set a new covenant with us found in his blood, it just begins to see that he's reversing the curse. He's the second Adam. And he wants to reverse that curse so that sin can be removed and we can experience. And that permeable bubble is removed and we can come to God once again. And God established that covenant and we see it beginning with that rainbow covenant after Noah. God makes a covenant with Abraham to be a father of nation. God makes a covenant with Moses that Israel will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He makes a covenant for, with David, his descendants, that his descendants will sit on the throne forever. And God makes a covenant with us that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And God wants covenant with you today in those rhythms begin as we move through Genesis. And we were reminded of that 
when we look at the body, we look at the blood, and we remember his words that on the night when Jesus was with his disciples, and even the one that betrayed him, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke that bread, and he said, take and eat, for this is my body which is given for you. As often as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper was over, he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he said to his disciples, take and drink all of this, for this is my blood of a new and everlasting covenant. He said, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Will you join me in prayer? God, we remember your mighty acts, how you saved Noah and his family, how you desire to bring us into relationship through this new covenant found in your blood, and we are excited to be a part of this story. It's not just history, it's, it's his story, and we are a part of that. And so, God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts and make them be for us in covenant together with you, the body and blood of Christ, so that we would be for the world, your believers, the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. Make us one in communion with you, one in communion with each other. We give you thanks, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You do not have to be a member of this church or any church to experience this uh, holy meal. The only requirements are a desire for you to have your sins forgiven by God and be in love with him, and you can come to this table. We're going to take it by intention. They're going to give you a, a wafer. Just simply dip it into the cup. And so let's pray that prayer that he taught us to pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.